And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We have a returning guest, yes, indeed, and we're going to continue our conversation. Um, not exactly where we left off. I, I always like to each make each uh, interview kind of sort of standalone. Uh, we're going to be talking with David Erdman. He was with us not too long ago, uh, probably in uh, mid-late uh, 2021, uh, talking about the book we're going to continue talking about the concepts, the philosophy, and so forth of the Ten Commandments of Marriage. David, welcome back to our program. Thank you, Richard. I'm delighted to be with you and your audience. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting. I know that um, uh, you you didn't come off, uh, come down off the mountain with, the, you know, um, three giant tablets with 15 commandments of marriage, and then you dropped one and it broke all the pieces, and then you only have 10. That's a little bit from, uh, what was that, uh, a Mel Brooks movie, I guess. <laughs> but you you came up with these uh, these Ten Commandments of Marriage. Where did first of all, for those who are are not familiar, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, where you where you came up came up with the concept. I realize the theme is pretty clear from the Old Testament uh, uh, from the Bible, uh, but uh, tell us a little bit about where this idea for the Ten Commandments of Marriage came from for you. Well, Richard, let's start with the fact that your audience doesn't know that I'm a lawyer. And in fact, I'm a divorce lawyer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't say that with any particular pride. I do think there's a right way and a wrong way to be a divorce lawyer. And I've tried all my career to be doing it the right way. But, and, and by the way, the right way is to tell my clients upfront at the beginning of every meeting um, that I am not in the business of breaking up marriages. I'm very much in the business of trying to help people. And if they can save their marriage, I count that as the greatest help. Um, I did write my book, The Ten Commandments of Marriage, but I subtitled it Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer mm -hmm. because I have learned a lot of ways that people can mess up their marriages. Mm -hmm. And rather than telling people what not to do, because I actually think your intelligent audience knows what they ought not to do but they can use some guidance on what they ought to do. And so nine of these 10 commandments of marriage, which are designed to help people save their marriage, designed to help them stay out of a divorce lawyer's office, designed to let them wear their wedding ring for 38 years as I've done so far. Um, these are positive messages for people to work on their marriage and the earlier in their marriage they read these messages, these commandments, I call them, of uh, the more likely they are to be successful. See, I had an advantage. As a, as a young lawyer, I had already lived through 300 of other people's marriages through a divorce before I got married. So I had learned a lot about, as my wife likes to say, what not to do. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, Richard, I have completed more than five thousand divorce related client meetings and 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 encountering so many people i have divined these positive lessons and no i didn't go up on a mountain and get them i don't think i'm a i don't think i'm decreeing uh holy commandments but i do believe <laughs> i'm giving the reader practical commandments and in fact when i when i think of this book and i'll tell you this richard when I think of somebody buying this book, I, they, they ought to read it. 
But I always think about they need to give it to their spouse because undoubtedly when they read the Ten Commandments of Marriage, they'll think, oh, my spouse doesn't do that. My spouse needs to see this. My spouse needs to do this differently. So it's a good outline to give your spouse. Mm. This is a program that is designed to give you new ways of living, and sometimes we do go back a ways to find them. In this case, you have, you have a good formula, if you will, <clears throat> a good template <clears throat> using uh, the Ten Commandments uh, uh, from the Old Testament, if you will. And uh, let's let's maybe reference maybe the first five. Can you run down the first five commandments of of uh, of marriage? Uh, and yeah. I think it's very important for people to to take note of this. Of course, before you mention those five, let me just let you, the listener, know, the viewer, know that you can find out more about this particular book by going to Ten Commandments of Ten Commandments of Marriage.com, and we will be linked to that website as well so people can find out more. So okay. let's, uh, let's run down the top five. All right. Well, the top five are, number one, thou shalt be equals. And by the way, just as in the commandments of Jesus, if you can get the first commandment right, you probably don't need the other nine. Uh, and, I'm, you know, obviously the commandments came from Moses, but Jesus sure. reminded us of that. But number two is... Thou shalt be a team. Number three, thou shalt stay close to your spouse. And I define what I mean by that. Four, thou shalt appreciate your spouse. And fifth, oh, this is the fun one. Thou shalt communicate your needs to make sex fulfilling for both of you. In other words, in my fifth commandment, I'm telling a spouse, don't blame the other person for your lack of sexual satisfaction. It's your job to make it clear what you need and what you're looking for. And reciprocally, you do that for them. So my fifth commandment, thou shalt communicate your needs uh, to make sex fulfilling for both of you. And that's a that's one of those subjects you don't bring to the dinner table along with politics and religion. Uh, so that's not the place to talk about it. But it is one of those top three uh, conversations that uh, a lot of people don't want to have. Um, maybe because they were not brought up in a home where uh, this was was discussed in an open and honest and appropriate manner. Uh, I mean, that just seems like a, a, a big, a big topic for a lot of folks and a very challenging one because a lot of people are, well, for lack of a better word, they're embarrassed. I, I don't, I'm, no, I, I can't go there. I can't talk about that. That's, that's personal and private. And they will even say that to their spouse. Well, you, you know, I'm going to say that they only have to speak with each other. Yeah. And 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 I I do believe, and I believe that the experience of, of your listeners will will support that in the initial part of any romantic relationship, the sexual attraction is a big part of it, and it's a great part mm -hmm. of it. the The problem in marriages is when that changes, when it evolves. It can evolve because of the birth of a child. It certainly can evolve as people get older. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so um, they, they, 
I'm the author of a, of a statement. Of course, I'm an author of a whole book here. But I'm author of a statement that says, uh, um, whatever works for the two of you as a couple is of no concern to the rest of the world. So it doesn't have to be what your mama approved of or your siblings approve of or your next door neighbor is doing. If it works for the two of them, then it's right for the two of them. Mm -hmm. That's one of the beauties of being married. David Erdman's my guest. The Ten Commandments of Marriage is our subject. The Ten Commandments of Marriage, or actually it's tencommandmentsofmarriage.com is the website. And you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And we are talking about, uh, in a manner of speaking, well, we'll talk about the top five. And you are absolutely right about the first commandment as you've listed it. You get that one down, and you're golden uh, for for the other nine. You they're they're encompassed, and I find that that unfortunately in our media today, and I'm not talking news. I'm talking about uh, movies and television programs. Even to this day, although it seems like it's starting to shift a little bit, and maybe it's partly due to the oversensitive uh, nature of our society in this country in particular. Uh, the stereotypes seem to be shifting a little bit where you've got uh, the husband who is kind of a dopey uh, kind of guy and the woman is the smarter one of the two. She's And she's supposedly unwritten, in control. She's the boss, you know. Let me, let me go check with the boss and see what she says. And yet, um, I have never seen that dynamic with my parents married 66 years this year. Still alive, still doing well, still kicking along and so forth. I have never... Now, whether each of them might go off and do their own thing on an occasion, that's fine. I never can remember an instance where the two of them were fighting or arguing. I mean, I've been in some arguments with my wife that I know my parents have never been in, in terms of the the, the, the veracity of it. Um. And in the media in particular, you always uh, see how each of them is grappling to try to get one up on the other. And I'm going, but oh, that's, that's that's crazy. That's not how it's supposed to be. You're right. Thou, thou shalt be equals. And in fact, I have sort of a, an image in my mind of the way life progresses with age. So as it moves up here, it's, we're getting older. Right. And there are times in a couple's particularly like a two income couple, for example, which is common. There'll be times when one, let's say the husband moves ahead in terms of his earnings and feels like, well, he's sort of a bigger shot, but after the children are born, she maybe moves ahead in terms of her earnings. And now it's the other way around. It, by the way, they're not going to have equal pay. No, they view each other as equals irrespective of metrics like how much money they make correct and, and you know you know you're in an equal relationship when after you express your opinion you hear the other person's opinion and you say hmm I'm, i might be wrong they might be right um that's a good sign there are people unfortunately who think they themselves are always right and uh, they're not treating their spouse as an equal and they're not appreciating their spouse to look at commandment number four, thou shalt appreciate your spouse. Uh, I'm a big observer since I, since I see people breaking up in marriages, 
at all ages. Why are they doing this when they're 70 years old? Why are they doing that? I yeah. don't know. But, but it's, it's because somebody in the marriage is unhappy. And usually that unhappiness comes down to they were treated as less than equal. Yeah. And now, I, you, you raise an interesting point about income. And uh, a lot of times what one of the spouses might say is, well, you know, uh, and, and let's just maybe go into the older set, you know, those who are on the Social Security, you know, well, my Social Security check is coming in today and I want to do this, that or the other thing. And they have they might even have separate bank accounts. They might have one that's joint. And then the other one of the spouses has their own. I mean, I know that women want to have their independence and so forth. And I get that. And I, I would want them to be uh, to have that level of independence. But it's like if you're in a marriage, his income is ours. You, her income is ours, not his income is his and her income is hers um, because you're a team. Well, that's 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 uh, that's commandment number two. Thou shalt be a team. Mm -hmm. uh, but Richard, I would say to you that for some couples, keeping that money separate is what. By the way, not not in my, actually in my family, yeah, uh, we talk about how to spend the money. But she gets to spend her account, and I get to spend my account. But the big money comes out of our joint account, mm -hmm. and money is a form of control in marriages. Uh, money is really a big uh, problem that young couples have to sort out. They have to they have to decide because because when they come with separate financial worlds, you know, they've got their own bank account when they right. come in, and they need to decide how they're going to, as you say, maybe have two separate accounts and one joint account. How they're going to split their expenses. Um, but being selfish about money in a marriage is short sighted. Uh, being being as generous toward a spouse as one's financial circumstances will permit endears that person to you and you're showing your endearment toward them. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a help in the long run in the marriage. And the reason I say in the long run is we encounter a lot of marriages, even among our friends, where somebody gets sick. Yeah, it could even be the it could be the primary breadwinner, and if if they haven't been, if they haven't been loving toward their spouse, they may find that their spouse says, "Well, I don't I don't feel like staying around." That's yeah, pretty harsh, pretty harsh, but uh, but accumulated dissatisfaction over years, usually being treated as a inferior, is uh, is what leads to dissatisfaction Yeah. so often. I want people to learn how to resolve their differences. That's one of my commandments. That's commandment number nine. Thou shalt learn to resolve your differences. Mm -hmm. I know and, that, uh, I, I know that uh, uh, getting just uh, a little bit more on the, the whole uh, financial end of it, <clears throat> that um, as far as I know, my parents of 66 years marriage, uh, as far as I know, have always had a joint account. They've never had separate accounts. 
but again, you know, maybe they do. I have, I, I don't know. I do know that going to the, uh, going to that issue of taking care of one another, my father, he's 90, 91 this year. He, um, even though he is, uh, you might say healthy as a horse. All right. He's got some stability and mobility issues. I guess he's finally acquiesced to using the walker that my mother bought for him. But he still gets up on his uh, exercycle and still pedals away and so forth. Uh, but he has, um, uh, he, he was, um, uh, I was there at Christmas time uh, to spend what turned out to be the last Christmas with my eldest sister. Yes. And we were to meet at my youngest sister's house where she puts on the most lavish and well-orchestrated uh, events, if you will, I'll call it, even for the family. And my dad didn't want to go. Oh, no. And um, I, I, my mom understood that, and she kind of questioned him a little, but she wasn't going to force him to go. Now, when I was back there again in April for my sister's memorial, um, he didn't want to go to the memorial because, uh, again, for the same reasons of his stability, his hearing and, and seeing and so forth. However, the, the fortunate thing was they, they actually had it on Zoom, which was really cool. And now I have the, the video. on. I've got it on my portable uh, uh, drive, and I can watch it whenever I want and see the pictures of my sister and so forth. But he at least he, got, he was there. If not in person, he was able to watch the whole thing. And, he, he, and so at least he was able to participate in that fashion. So my mother is basically um, sort of taking care of him. Now, when I'm over there, my father will get up and he will make us, because he and I both like oatmeal, and he'll make it, makes great oatmeal, and we'll sit down and we'll have breakfast and my mom will join us with her bowl of fruit or yogurt or whatever it is that she likes. Uh, but he, he basically tells the people, this is what I want to do or I don't want to do. And they pretty much, we, we pretty much say, okay, you know, because you, you can't force somebody to do something they don't want to do. Well, but the but there is no acrimony between the two of them, okay? Because I think my mother also recognizes, you know, he's a free moral agent. He can do whatever he wants. I still love him, and I want him to be happy, and I want him to be comfortable. And if this is what makes him comfortable, then there you go. And uh, she knows him so, so, so well. Yeah, exactly. And she loves him. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely time. does. She shared with me, too, because I've asked her, uh, taken her aside, and I've asked her, I said, so, how are you doing? Said, well, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm, I'm a little tired, but I'm doing, I'm making it, you know. Now, she gets out in the car. She'll go run errands. She'll go over to her, her granddaughter's house where the great grandkids are, and, and she'll wow. even look after them from time to time, even while, you know, with my dad there in their condo. Um. You know, and then, of course, one of my other sisters has older uh, girls that are in their 30s, and they'll come over and they'll help out. I mean, we all do what we can. Uh, a little more difficult for me because I'm here in California, there in Arizona. But when you, when you, when you meet with, with people who have been together for so long, you know, 30, 40, 50 years or more, and they want to go their separate ways— Again, your job isn't necessarily to make sure that they don't get divorced, 
but maybe take a look at all of the options and possibilities. Where where do you start with a couple like that? Well, well, let me let me remind you something, Richard. Since I'm since I'm a lawyer, I only get to meet with one side. Mm. Lawyers are not permitted to have a conflict of interest. Ah, I gotcha. Two people. Gotcha. So I'm not a marriage counselor, except to whatever extent the client who has come to see me uh, wants to wants to get my thoughts about something. Right. I, I've had a couple of clients just in the last week or two uh, see the see the book on my counter because mm-hmm. uh, I'd like for them to <laughs> buy a copy. And uh, they wanted a copy. But w- one of them had a problem with a spouse who's addicted. And I said, well, you ought to read what I've experienced with, about that. Um, but I only get to listen to one side. But you may notice that I've listened to you. My my view is it's so important for me as a lawyer to listen and listen and listen and listen and listen. It's a long time before I want to even tell people what I see because I want to make sure I've got enough information from which to deduce that. But here's here's the thing. If both people want a divorce then who am I to argue? Mm-hmm. And chances are they can do it amicably. The most common circumstance, as you might imagine, is that one person wants out for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And that one person wants out. And, and, and sometimes I represent that person. Sometimes I represent the person who wants to save their marriage. That's who I wrote the Ten Commandments of Marriage, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer for. I'll say, look, uh, in fact, one of the the sort of an epilogue, I believe that's the right word for the end of the book. Mm-hmm. My epilogue is entitled, What Would Your Divorce Look Like? Because people don't really know. Let me point out an obvious, just obvious if they've got children, even grown children, for the rest of their lives, they will probably spend only half as much time with those children as they would have if the two parents had stayed together. Hmm. Because the kids are going to be split. If they're young, they're going to be split in custody. If they're in their 20s or 30s, they're going to balance mom and dad all the time. They're not going to favor one over the other. And so each of the individual parents will only see their own children half as much. So that's a, 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 a side effect of a divorce. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I, 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 I point out also, and this is, this is what I have learned from 5,000 encounters, is that people are very shaped. You might not imagine this. People are very shaped in their view toward marriage um, by the first marriage that they're in. Uh, by the way, Richard, you've been shaped in your views of marriage by your own parents. Wonderful example. I mean, that's that's evident from our conversation. Well, I only but, wish I only wish that it had spilled over into my first marriage, uh, which I I ended up divorcing over 23, 24 years ago. Um, and it really broke my heart because one of the things I wanted to do was to uh, have the kind of longevity uh, that they had. 
that they have, I should say. Uh, and you know, and I, I would, I would probably right now be in my 30th or 40th year, uh, of marriage to the first wife. And because uh, I'm into milestones, okay? <laughs> that, for me, it, the higher the number goes, the better I feel in that regard. But let me let you continue there. Well, um, it, it's what, I, what I've observed, and I don't know if this uh, comports with your experience or not, but I think it is a common enough phenomenon that, um, that it's worth telling people about. And that is the first marriage, I say, I've observed, shapes both spouses in terms of things like how they'll divide household chores. Husband, first marriage, maybe the, maybe the husband cooks. He does all the cooking or likes to do all the fancy cooking. Well, if the wife gets divorced, chances are she's not going to find the second husband who does that. Mm. And, and, but it might be vice versa. The, the wife may be very happy being a homemaker. The husband gets divorced, he may find that there's not another person out there who has that attitude. And so there's not going to be somebody who's going to take his clothes to the laundry, a uh, dry cleaner I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and maybe get his car washed and supervise the lawn maintenance because that wife is home. What happens is his attitude toward what marriage ought to be is shaped. The reason I'm making my hands like this is because it's almost like a puzzle. The two together Mm. interact in a way that works for them. And it shapes, this is an analogy, Mm -hmm. but it shapes them. And so when they depart, they depart with their individual shapes in place. And so when they get to the next spouse, they try to fit. And some things fit great. Mm -hmm. And others just bump heads. Yeah. Because they have different attitudes. They've come from different places. And so... The first marriage is very influential for most couples yeah. in terms of how they will fit with their next spouse. Yeah. And Richard, I don't know if this ever, never happened to you, and I certainly don't want you to tell us, but <laughs> a lot of people have divorce remorse. Mm. When they get with wife number two or husband number two or husband number three, they think, my goodness, I made a mistake when I left husband number one. So, so that's where I try to help them not it's not my place to change their mind and mm-hmm. tell them what to do right it is my place to explain what their options are right and it is my place to show them the longevity effect of of their divorce as the paths go further and further apart they'll they'll, they'll see their children less as we've already said right you know what the most intractable problem is in marriage it's mental illness Oh, and I don't yeah. have an answer to it. Yeah, I don't have an answer. Yeah, but I, but I do know this: um, if someone is mentally ill in various ways, they tend strongly to deny it. They just deny it, and that's the wrong that's the wrong approach. If I start to have a mental illness, I've got to go to my wife and tell her I'm having, whether it's to, I'm not, I'm not. I'm, I'm a happy guy, but if I were <laughs> depressed or I were anxious mm-hmm. or I started breaking out in, in, in fits of rage, uh, she'd be the first one to know. And she should be my best helper. Yeah. If I've been a good husband to her and she's being a good wife to me. Yeah. So, 
so uh, and then it, and then you can overlay mental illness with what they call a dual diagnosis, which mm-hmm. is addiction. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit in just a moment, David. David Erdman, my guest. The Ten Commandments of Marriage, tencommandmentsofmarriage.com is the website we'll be linked to as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure to have him back again. David Erdman is my guest, and we are talking about um, uh, those um, aspects of marriage that are very interesting to consider. Uh, I I used to think... uh, and I kind of still do that if two people end up getting married, and I'm not saying that uh, um, <laughs> if it were an arranged marriage, yes, you can grow to love the person you're with. Well, that's not necessarily true. But if you are, you know, courting someone, dating someone, what have you, uh, and, you know, the love is there, uh, then certainly the next step obviously might be. Uh, to get married and have a family and all of the all of the other accoutrements, but one of the one of the aspects that you touched upon just a moment ago, uh, not only in terms of mental health, mental wellness, if you will, uh, but also addiction. Now, when it comes to abuse, all right, and when it comes to abuse, uh, I don't care whether it's the man or the woman who's being abused. Uh, I'm going to say get out. Not necessarily divorce, okay, but get get away so that you can get help for you and hopefully then for the spouse because uh, you're not going to do yourself any good staying, but that is one of the hardest things for an individual, male or female. Maybe a little I'm... easier for the male, but nonetheless, it's still a really hard decision. Like, my God, I, I made this commitment X number of years ago in front of everybody and the priest or the, you know, what have you, uh, and and I uh, t- till death do us part and so on and so forth. But I, I I can't I can't take the abuse anymore, whether it's verbal, mental, emotional, physical, etc. etc. I, I can't do it. I, you know, I, I you know, and um, and the other and the spouse is just they're not aware. That they're doing this, and usually that's the case. Is an abusive person is not aware uh, at the time that they're doing it, and then there's all the apologies, and then it happens again and again and again. Uh, well, but I'm 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 very clear about domestic violence. Yeah, uh, domestic violence. I, I strongly recommend any person, any person in a marriage or even an unmarried cohabitation arrangement, if they are physically assaulted by their spouse or threatened with serious physical, like I'm going to somebody saying I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Call the police. Mm-hmm. It's very embarrassing to have three police cars in the front yard. It absolutely is. The neighbors know it. If they're kids, the kids know it. The, the, the people will talk about it for weeks. Mm-hmm. But the experience shows that when it's happened, when the police showed up one time on domestic violence, overwhelmingly, it never happens again. Now, there are exceptions. We know there are exceptions. Mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly, once once a person who's been physically abused has called the police because of all the humiliation that that brings to everybody, the abuser is very, very unlikely to do it again. And that's why you call the police the first time. Mm-hmm. If you don't call the police the first time, then the abuser, abuser is clearly 
mentally in control of this person and thinks they'll never be called. Yeah. So we'll back away from that because we we're very clear on on uh, the solution there, at least uh, the initial the initial uh, action to be taken. But when it comes to some of these other issues that really put a strain on a relationship, no matter how many years one has been together. Uh, and in my parents' case, uh, you know, 66 years, that's a long time. You know, my God, I'm 61. So I kind of tells you when I came along. Uh, and I have uh, right now I have, uh, uh, you know, four uh, four other siblings. Uh, my my sister, my eldest sister, who just passed. Uh, I I I sense that she's still around, you know, kind of watching around, watching for us and making sure that everybody's doing OK. And I'm oh, grateful for that. But. That is that is one of those stressors when when a when a when parents lose a child, for whatever the reason, uh, th that's one of those stressors that you I know that you've probably uh, either had had experiences with in your practice, or you know in the news you know you hear about the parents of a child who maybe was taken from them uh, during during a, a violent act what have you. And they just can't handle it anymore in the relationship, and they just they have to go their separate ways, you know. And again, that's it's entirely up to them. But those kinds of stressors, we are getting more and more and more of them. There was a time, uh, David, when I heard, and I think it was like in the '70s or early '80s, the divorce rate was like 50 plus percent. Is it still that high, or is it even higher? Because <laughs> for maybe the last year and a half, two years, uh, couples have been kind of stuck together at home, which was not a normal thing. They had to deal with each other and, 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 and each other's personalities and everything. It's like, this is the person I married. I'm, I'm with them 24-7 now. And I, I, I can't, no, I'm out of here you know, kind of thing. What, what, what are your thoughts in that regard? No, Richard, I, let's, go back, let's go back to the children thing first. Sure, sure. Because, and, then, and then talk about the okay. divorce and all that. The reason I want to go back to the, the children issue is, yes, the horrible tragedy of losing a child under any circumstances is extremely stressful in a marriage. And the reason is a blame game. I can imagine that if, God forbid, a child were shot in a school, as we know has happened, um, one parent might say at some point, I told you I wanted our child to go to a different school. Mm. That's the type of that's the type of problem that just puts a terrible, terrible wedge in the marriage. And of course, no one. No, neither parent would have allowed their child to be in harm's way mm -hmm. at all. In fact, most parents would put themselves in front of the, in front of the bullet, and take that bullet for their kid. So, so, but but that type of blame game is is a serious problem when it exists in marriages. Yeah, it's a good one for marriage counselors. Now we'll talk about the the statistics. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw both ends of the effect of of COVID. I saw people who who realized by being together that they actually still shared a lot. And I saw people who by being together couldn't stand it. 
<laughs> uh, and 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 think, but think about this. Undoubtedly, there were some extramarital affairs that were busted up by COVID, because if if some woman, for example, is having an extramarital affair, I, and I say woman not because I'm picking on women, but we always assume it's the man. Mm-hmm. So let's just say some woman's had an extramarital affair and it's been going on for a while. Well, during COVID, it wasn't going on because everybody was staying home. And and not only that, the person she was having the affair with is staying home with his or her spouse. And so it, so you see how it could have that effect. And I've, I've had a, I remember a client very clearly saying to me, um, we started walking every afternoon together during COVID and we've grown closer together. In fact, I think they came in for something like writing a will, maybe not even a divorce because they taught me that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as the, pardon me, the overall statistics in America on divorces, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. Uh, people who marry especially young are going to be more prone to have divorces because they themselves, uh, people have different levels of education. We understand mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But let's use a college graduate as an example. If they're a college graduate, they have not been, and I went to college, they are not living a realistic adult life while they're in college. They all, everything's taken care of for them. They, uh, somebody, even if it's a loan, is paying their tuition. It's when they get out and have to earn their own pay that they begin to be realists about certain aspects of life. And so if two people come together after they've had maybe three years of work experience and, and have seen the world a little bit, then they can assess in a realistic way um, how they would make this partnership work for life. If they marry in college, for example, neither of them has ever had that experience. And let me give you an example from law school. I went to law school, obviously. Every married law student had an advantage over people like me who were single during law school. Because the married law students, and I write about this in my book, Mm -hmm. I call it master-servant syndrome. What happens is, and let's say I'd had a wife during law school. Well, I would have gone to her and said, look, if you want me to be a big successful lawyer, I need you to allow me to study all the time. That means you got to get the car washed. That means you got to buy the groceries. That means you got to take care of everything. Just let me study all the time. Well, what happens is, if that had happened in my life, I would have created a servant out of my wife. And so when I got out of law school, maybe I'd still expect her to do all those chores because that's the way we'd set it up in the marriage for during the time in law school. So that's very, very difficult to be the spouse of a medical student or a law student or maybe even a graduate student of any type. And it's probably equally difficult to be the spouse of a police officer or a firefighter. But so, so people who, people must be very careful early in their marriages not to fall into a trap of master servant. They're violating the first commandment of marriage, thou shalt be equals. Mm-hmm. And so I talk about how to deal with that um, and how to try in, in my book about how to avoid it. The best way to avoid it is just be aware of it. Mm-hmm. From day one, be aware this could be a problem. David Erdman's Mike. Uh, most Dave, of my married law student friends got divorced. Right. 
David Erdman's my guest here on the program. We're talking about the Ten Commandments of Marriage. TenCommandmentsOfMarriage.com is the website. I'm Richard Dugan, and this is Tell Me Your Story. It's new paradigms for a new world as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Uh, we are talking with... Um, uh, we are talking with David Erdman, uh, a.k.a. Uh, the 21st century Moses of marriages, shall we say. Uh, he didn't come off, the, come off of the mountaintop necessarily, uh, but he does come from uh, his experience as a divorce lawyer. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, in regards to, um, in regards to uh, uh, you're being born on the 4th of July. Does that... Uh, does that uh, give you any special significance uh, in, in your own mind? Uh, because uh, my birthday was on the 26th of June, so I look at it halfway to Christmas. As a kid, it was always halfway to Christmas kind of thing. <laughs> so how about yep. you in terms of Independence Day? Well, you're nice to ask. Yes, I was privileged to be born on the 4th of July on a Marine base, uh, Camp Lejeune. My father was a Navy doctor. And he was stationed there and I was, he met my mother and they got married and I was born. I've always appreciated my good fortune to have been born on the 4th of July. It's made me a little more patriotic. Just being born on a military base has made me a little more patriotic. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I, I believe in, in the, the standards and freedoms that make America distinctive in this whole world. Right. Um, and of course, as a lawyer, I have a great appreciation for the wisdom of the of the writers of our Constitution, and they signed the Declaration on the Fourth of July. Well, I'll tell you too. Um, I, I had an interesting uh, experience not long ago, where I was having a conversation with someone who, uh, and and I I don't mean any disrespect to this person. I'm not going to mention them by name, <clears throat> but I I got the impression. Uh, though we did come to agreements at the end of our conversation, I got the impression as we first started talking that this person was so tightly wrapped in the American flag, I, I, I was questioning how they were even able to breathe because they were so patriotic. They were so gung-ho about America, the greatest country on the planet, uh, bar none, and that everybody's inferior almost uh, was the way it sounded and did not want to recognize the issues, the challenges that we face in this country. You, on the other hand, are patriotic. You care about this country. You see the benefits. You see the land of opportunity. And you also see the challenges that we face in this country. And I think that, that to me, you have a very balanced, uh, very balanced um, uh, uh, view, perspective uh, of uh, a the country in which you live. Well, well, thank you for that, uh, Richard. Uh, it's not relevant to the fact that I'm now a divorce lawyer and the author of the <laughs> book, The Ten Commandments of Marriage, but I will tell you that I'm a former member of the Charlotte City Council. And so, yes, I have dealt with the city's problems and I care about how we try to solve them. And as a young pre-lawyer, I, I was privileged to work for the United States Senate on the Watergate Committee. Oh, wow. So, so I have had a, I've had a very a varied and interesting uh, career, indeed. Well, I, I was not aware about your connection to, uh, to Watergate. It was, for me, I was uh, 12, 13 years old during that period of time, and 
I was looking at that going, what the heck is going on here? You know, why are, why are these people playing these games? And, of course, over the years since then, we've had similar kinds of, I'll call them controversies, political controversies, uh, that might rival, might have rivaled Watergate. But that was sort of the door that opened the way to... Uh, a higher scrutiny, shall we say, of our institutions, and which is not a bad idea. And one of those, I, I have to wonder, have you ever considered uh, uh, the thought that maybe, just maybe, in every state in the union, because marriage is a state uh, a contract and it's a state issue, uh, that maybe uh, we might want to... Institute not um, uh, 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 that, that people have to get a license because you do you have if you're going to get married you have to get a marriage license, but that you have to take the practical and written test before you get married. You know, uh, like you do to drive a car. Well, are you aware that in the state of Louisiana they have a higher level of marriage called a covenant marriage? And I don't know what all the requirements are. And of course, I'm a North Carolina lawyer. Mm-hmm. But I encountered a covenant marriage when somebody fleeing from Hurricane Katrina came and relocated to Charlotte. And there they were. It's a I don't know that you have to take an exam, but you have to in a covenant marriage, you have to swear to a higher level of legal commitment. And it's harder to get divorced from it. Mm. It's very Interesting concept, and I I don't know a lot about the covenant marriage concept, but I found it in Louisiana. Yeah. What do you think about uh, uh, when I first heard this? I I thought that is a recipe for divorce. Prenup your prenuptial agreements. You have nailed it. There is no greater predictor of divorce. Even infidelity is not as great a predictor of divorce as having a prenup premarital agreement. And I address that right up front in detail in my book, because the way, there is a way to write a premarital agreement so that it does not spoil the marriage. The way it does spoil it is when lawyers negotiate for a husband and wife and make it into a business transaction and completely map out the divorce, the divorce. Mm-hmm. And the people aren't even married yet. Whenever I participate in that exercise, I just say, we're doing this all wrong. Mm-hmm. We're doing this all wrong. If somebody's concerned about whether their spouse will be faithful, well, that's a valid concern. But if you're going to say there'll be no alimony in this marriage, well, what if you're the one who's unfaithful? Um, uh, or what if the other one's the one who's unfaithful? And and so I, what I did was I you used the word milestone. And I thought, well, I wonder if this guy has read my book or he just likes the phrase milestones because I (laughs) conceived of and I have convinced other lawyers and many clients to put milestones in their premarital agreements. If if that is, if they have to have one at all. So a typical one would be that after a certain number of years, they can inherit from each other according to the state law instead of the typical premarital agreement that says, I don't have to leave you anything when I die and you don't have to leave me anything when I die. What's that about if people have been married for many years? So I want it to phase out uh, 
when they reach a certain milestone year. And I can tell you that just last week, I had a client send me a premarital agreement that she had signed. I'm not mentioning clients' names, of course, Mm -hmm. and I don't mention any in the book. But I can say that I met with a lady about a premarital agreement. I thought it was unduly harsh uh, toward her. But at the same time, I proposed milestones, and she sent me a copy with some milestones that she'd been able to negotiate in. So I was happy to see that. You know, and and that's rather extraordinary uh, because usually what you see in a divorce, I mean, there's 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 a a situation going on right now as we all are probably at least uh, vaguely familiar of, and that is the the Johnny Depp situation going on in Hollywood. That whole situation, and and I'm just sitting here going, see, my first divorce, it went on for uh, from May first of um, uh, 1998 until it was finalized in January, I think it was like the 12th or something like that, of uh, 1999, and $3,600 later. Now, um, uh, I had a lawyer I went to, paid $50 for just a consultant, just to to, to consult. I said, here's here's what I have asset-wise, which was virtually nothing, Uh, and here's what I want. And she said, that sounds very reasonable. By the way, you know what her slogan was? Reasonable solutions for reasonable people. Oh, if you can just find a reasonable person on the other side, that'll work. That was the problem. Because when I went to them at a meeting in his office, my ex-wife's office, and a male, this was what was interesting dynamic. I had a female lawyer. She had a male lawyer. Very interesting. Anyway, uh, and I proposed this, and of course, the, 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 her lawyer said, there is no way a judge is ever going to give you that. You know, you know you're know, you going to need spousal support. Now, this was in Arizona where it's a, um, not common law, it's um, community property state, 50-50. At least at that time it was. And, um, and so uh, then this thing dragged on. I was uh, pulled into a deposition. I still remember the conversation with my lawyer before and after. I says, uh, can I plead the fifth or can I not answer the question? No, you say you have to answer the questions. I said, okay. But she says, here's what you can do. You can, if you're still thinking of what the, the answer is, uh, you can say, uh, could you repeat the question? I don't understand the question. Things like this nature, you know. Uh, could you be more specific, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when the, uh, when the, uh, uh, deposition was over $140 later, um, she said to me, she says, I have been to a lot of depositions. I have never seen anybody cause the opposing lawyer to twist and turn in the wind like you did. Well, congratulations. Now I was, I was honest, but I was constantly using those kinds of phrases. Anyway. Uh, when we got to January, actually it was late December when they finally agreed to settle. They settled for exactly what I had asked for in May. And I should have also stipulated that uh, if you accept the terms, which were identical to what I presented for you in May, you pay my attorney's fees. I, I should have done that, but I wanted out. I, I, it was, it, I needed to, to end this. It was, it was going on way Way too long. We had we had a house. We had no other assets. We didn't have a car. Uh, you know, I we didn't drive. Neither of us drove. 
Uh, we had no for no retirement, no stocks, bonds. We all we had really was a house, and what was in it? Well, Richard, your story is the story of so many people. Yeah, so many people, and and people need to be shown practical solutions. You know, I have an engineering degree. Before I before I went to law school at Georgetown University, I graduated from Duke University in biomedical engineering. And so I, I, I believe in efficiency and my clients know that I believe in efficiency and I consider efficiency in terms of money, but also in terms of time and in terms of not wasting people's emotional energy. Let's be efficient if we can be in all of these dimensions. Um, I've been fortunate. I've been very fortunate. You, you, you don't meet 5,000 clients if, if you're not fortunate as a lawyer. No, you're absolutely right. We're talking with David Erdman, and his book is The Ten Commandments of Marriage. And uh, and then, of course, that subtitle uh, we'll want to mention here, too, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. And uh, you can go to his website for the book. It's tencommandmentsofmarriage.com. That's tencommandmentsofmarriage.com. And we continue, as we continue here, on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I find it interesting, David, David Erdman, my guest here on the program, that we are, we are more so now than ever before, and it was even said back when I was a teenager, that we lived in a litigious society. It's, it's, you know, they say that it's, it's money that makes the world go around. No, I don't think so. I think it's the lawyers, uh, because, uh, <laughs> because they want to see things go awry so they can have billable hours. Um, and as I said earlier, my, my divorce cost me $3,600. I am very grateful to my parents who, uh, who, who lent me, uh, the, the initial, um, what do they call it? Retainer, uh, yes. to have the lawyer. Uh, and I did not realize this until uh, midway through that every time I sent her an email or what have you, uh, it was billable hours uh, when she would re- read the, the email. Even I even got billed for hours when my ex-wife's best friend would email my attorney uh, with her perspective on, you know, me and my 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 not being a good husband and all of this stuff. In any event. Um, By the way, my, my answer to that phenomenon is I bill my clients in great detail once a month. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be able to read a page and a half of description of, of every incident. And they can question if they have a question. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been fortunate that that transparency has has allowed me to have very few questions from my clients because yeah. I am transparent. But but I have another rule. My rule is. I want my clients to participate in the case. I want them to be on phone calls. If I'm talking with the opposing lawyer, I don't mind if my client's on the phone with us mm-hmm. because because I want them to understand that I'm we're not talking about uh, uh, some other subject. We're right. Well, and, and, and the other thing, too, is that you then do not have to tell them, OK, this is what I said and this is what he or she said. And, you know, the other lawyer said and, 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 and then you now you're now your client is actually getting secondhand information, even though, yes, you said you say I said this and I said that. OK, that's fine. But now you're just, you know, secondhand what the other lawyer said, uh, unless it was uh, absolutely documented and so forth. Um, has, has the, uh, has the, uh, 
I call it the COVID era. You've, you've kind of explained uh, a little bit about uh, your experiences during these last couple of years. But I'm curious also as to how the, the has the technology interfered with or made it easier uh, to go through uh, this process, whether the couple decides to continue through the process to the end, divorce signed, sealed and stamped by the judge, or they decide, you know what, maybe th- this isn't the way we want to go. Uh, by the way, uh, to quote an old uh, Woody Allen joke, um, he talked about his wife, Quasimoto. Uh, they decided, uh, they says, you know what, uh, I, I think we should, we should get a divorce. They talked about it. says, well, we decided upon a divorce uh, instead of a vacation. And he said, well, why is that? He says, well, because a vacation you only have for two weeks, but a divorce is forever. Uh, and it was much more of a value, money-wise. <laughs> well, let, let, let me tell you, I actually uh, quote a Woody Allen movie in, in the book, Ten Commandments of Marriage, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer, but it's for this proposition. There's a scene in one of the marriages where the husband and wife individually meet, separately, that is, with the same counselor. Oh, and 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 so the the counselor asks the man uh, how often they have sex, and he says almost never, three times a week, and 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 they ask the wife the same question. She says all the time, three times a week. So there was a lack of communication there, uh, even though they both gave the same answer. Yeah, Woody Allen that up. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I uh, let me tell you about. COVID. Um, the courts, I'm sure across America, just as they have were in, were in North Carolina, uh, were closed for a long time. We could not have in-person meetings with a lot of people. So um, that postponed a lot of, of court activity. And the backlog is not unclogged yet. Uh, but having having the remote trials, I've participated in a trial where where the witnesses weren't even in state. They weren't even in state because it didn't have to be. We could do it all Zoom-ish. Mm-hmm. So, so that made it more efficient in that way. And in fact, I've not yet had an in-person trial since COVID started, but I've had a number of trials over... Um, WebEx, which is what the courts use, which is like Zoom. Yeah. Do you think um, that the, the acrimony is less as using Zoom instead of being in person? Though I know that sometimes it's better to be in person. I know that with our programming on the station, uh, people want to get back into the studio and everything. And that's coming, I think, sometime soon. But uh, you, you, I'm sure, know that when you uh, are in the courtroom, the energy generated by you and your client and uh, the other spouse and their uh, attorney as well as the judge and or whoever else is in the room is sometimes it's palpable you could cut it with a knife you're right in describing what happens in a courtroom Um, a good judge doesn't let the emotions get too carried away Mm -hmm. and wants to get to the heart of the matter but, but what we haven't discussed, uh, Richard, in that regard is uh, I always explain to clients when they come in for the first time that they should 
if they're going to separate, they should aspire to do it by an agreement, not a court proceeding. It is a court proceeding is massively expensive, awfully time consuming, and it has and it's and you move at the pace of the court, however long the court takes. An agreement can be reached in a few days if the people truly are in agreement. And so uh, I'm, I'm a champion of doing the resolution of those disputes in the least expensive and most efficient way. Uh, if we cannot reach an agreement, then of course we end up in, in a court. Uh, people often regret going to court because of the cost. And they've, they've turned their <laughs> life over to somebody who doesn't understand their life, somebody who's never seen them before. Yeah. And they're, and they're, and they're, and they're banking it all on whether this lawyer and their own testimony will somehow sway the judge uh, to make some ruling other than what the law says. Yeah. And the law says 50-50. So why are we going to court? Yeah. Exactly. We're talking with David Erdman. David Erdman's the author of The Ten Commandments of, uh, of Marriage, a Divorce Lawyer, a Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. And uh, we are talking about all of this. We got some more time here. We're going to continue on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host here on the program as we talk with divorce lawyer uh, uh, David Erdman and his book, Ten Commandments of Divorce, a divorce lawyer, a ten, uh, the secrets, <laughs> secrets of a divorce lawyer. Uh, uh, Ten Commandments of Marriage.com. That is the website. We hope that you'll go there. We will be linked to that website. David, I wanted to ask you, uh, going a little deeper here, a little deeper, um, because even though on an emotional level, following my divorce, uh, on one level I felt free, it wasn't it wasn't divorce remorse. Not not in the traditional, oh, have I made a terrible mistake. It was more uh, along the lines of, I can't believe I had to do this. Uh, they say that um, there are several different levels that we experience in our lifetimes of what is the, the, the grieving process over the death of, yes, a, a relative, a spouse, a, a, a sibling, uh, loss of a job. Uh, having to move, those kinds of things. And I know divorce has got to be up there. And that's kind of where I was, that I, I, as I said before, I wanted that milestone to grow. And I knew that now if I found someone else, I'd have to start all over again. And now I'm in my, uh, I'm in my 40s. I'm now in four, I'm, I'm, uh, I think I was 39, 40 years old when the divorce was final. And it was just like, are you kidding? I, 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 and I wanted to, although I had found someone else uh, after the fact um, who I'm with now, but I almost wanted to say, I don't want to ever do this again. And I actually made that commitment uh, to my present wife. I said that I will do everything in my power to ever, ever have to go through that again. It is just not worth it I, I i there has to have been a better way to have done this uh and um obviously hindsight being what it is so tell me a little bit about the the spiritual impact 
on you as a lawyer, but also as a human being uh, in your own faith, your own philosophy, if you will, uh, knowing the effects of this process on the people involved, uh, regardless of, you know, the acrimony that might go on in the courtroom and so forth or at a deposition and so forth. Uh, we're still talking about human beings who have feelings, who have, they have a soul, they have a heart. And somewhere down the road, it's going to hit them. Well, it's, the first observation is that somebody going through a divorce, uh, aside from whatever pain they feel, they have to view it I'm not, by the way, this is not me accusing them of this. This mm -hmm. is how they feel. Right. They feel they've made a mistake. Somewhere along the line, maybe they made a lot of mistakes. Maybe it wasn't the person they married that was a mistake. It was how they behaved in the marriage that was a mistake. But they, but there's a, there's a, there's a cloud of failure that is, that is hanging over them to a point. And I, I don't try to make people feel worse. I don't try to make them feel worse at all. I don't try to make, I don't try to feed them some happy line either. I just try to give it to them straight, but, but, but they're, they're experiencing a failure, but you talk about human beings. When the minute you say human beings, the human beings, I think of first, and I think my clients accept this in me is the children mm -hmm. because, because for the rest of their lives, the children of divorce almost unanimously can't picture why their parents who created them biologically couldn't stay together. Mm -hmm. They can't picture that. And, and, and it, and of course it's a, it's a, it's sort of a curse that goes to the next generation because divorced parents can't, tell their adult children not to get divorced because their actions were to get divorced. So I'm not only thinking, I, I, by the way, I always represent a client and I, and I'm very upfront about clients saying, look, you, I'm, I'm your lawyer. I'm not your children's lawyer, but I know as you're sitting here with me that you're thinking about your children. And I want you to picture why it's important that we don't scorch the earth between you and your spouse because the children are there in the no man's land. Yeah. And, and every parent tells me, well, I'm going to be concerned about my parent, about my children's welfare. But I see that in their desperation, they're pretty much only concerned about their own welfare in a terrible war between spouses. And, and again, I want to keep them out of that. I, I, I believe in efficiency and efficiency means let's settle this at the lowest level of rancor and indeed lowest level of cost that we can. Um, and by the way, uh, I mean, to give you a statistic I do have, out of the 5,000 initial consultations that I've had in my career, probably a third of those people did not get divorced. Mm. Probably a third of them went back home. And I say probably don't have exact numbers, but I've gotten so many notes and calls and referrals over the years from people who went back because 
in our initial consultation, and you mentioned your initial consultation with your lawyer, in our initial consultation, once they were informed of what their legal rights were and what the other side's legal obligations were, but of course their own legal obligations and their spouse's rights, then they felt like they could go home and level the playing field. And just going home and saying, I met with a lawyer today and I don't want to get a divorce and I don't want to go through what we'll go through if this, if you, if we don't straighten this up, Mm -hmm. but that little drop the lawyer word in uh, helps sometimes actually helps. And for me to help them visualize what their divorce would look like helps them go home and impart that information to the other side. And so I'm very happy for those people. I'm yeah. not uh, there. You, you, you made a comment about lawyers uh, wanting to stir up controversy to have work to do. Mm-hmm. And they do say that if, a, if there's one lawyer in a tiny town, the lawyer will go broke. But if there are two, they'll, they'll both be successful because they'll have, <laughs> have controversies to, to contest. Um, fortunately, I'm in a big city. And, uh, yeah. and, and uh, there's plenty of controversy without me having to stir up any. I'll bet. I'll bet. It's, it, uh, and I will tell you that it is probably not because they had reached a place where they knew they needed to do something or go their separate ways, but that they wanted to make sure their marriage maintained its strength and stability as well as the commitment. My parents sat the six of us down at that time in the, I'm going to say, early 70s and said, we want to participate in this program. And in the Catholic Church, they had what is called, I don't know if it's still there, it may be, called Marriage Encounter. Now, initially, I thought, well, why are you coming to us and asking for our permission when this is your choice? You want to do this. What difference does it make to us? And I, after a while, I thought back on that, probably in my teens, and I thought back on that and going, that was pretty nice of them to ask us how we felt about it. But we said, sure. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know. Maybe as young kids, we were thinking, oh, great. Mom and dad aren't going to be home and we can get away with all kinds of stuff. But. They went through and were probably involved for, I don't know, maybe 10 years in Marriage Encounter. Uh, And um, uh, that may have, uh, again, I don't know the initial reasons why. It doesn't matter. They did it. And uh, they've been together for 66 years. And it's it's, uh, a testament to their willingness. And I think one of the biggest things that they shared with me was, that they never sacrificed anything. They had six kids, and they never sacrificed anything because from the very beginning, they had a plan. They wanted a big family. And whatever came along with that, that was part of the plan, even though you can't plan for everything, right? And so uh, when, when people talk about how, oh, you know, when you get married and you have start having a, you're going to have to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Not if you plan it. Not if that's what you say, that's what you want. And, and when you were just talking a little bit ago, when especially uh, about the, um, I think it was the fifth, no, it was the fourth, no, it was the fifth commandment about sex. Uh, the fifth commandment, um, talk, 
What is it that you want? It, not just in sex, but in the relationship f- before you even get married. Uh, matter of fact, I think my dad has told me that he asked my mom several times to marry oh, wow. him, and she turned him down until finally wow. she said, okay. <laughs> so, uh, and she went on and had her career as a nurse uh, in the 70s. My dad went on to college after working so many years at this one company, and he got his computer programming degree. Uh, and went on to do other things as well until they both retired. And uh, so, anyway, that's a pretty that's a great story. I, yeah. I, I, all of that. I'm delighted to hear it. I'm proud of your parents. And and you know, we we the children of us the children don't need to know everything that's going on in the parents' lives. But they obviously uh, planned, wanted a big family, had a big family, and she she enabled him to go back and get that education that he wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, he enabled her to work outside of the home mm-hmm. uh, as a nurse. Um, they uh, they did talk about how to make it all work. That's fantastic. Yeah, and that's what it takes is communication, talking. And sometimes you, you might have to talk for a long time before you get to it. That conversation with that one individual I shared with you earlier, uh, we probably talked for two, I don't know, could have been two hours, maybe three uh, and as I said, uh, when we got into the latter part of our conversation, uh, we began to recognize there were certain things that we actually agreed upon, didn't necessarily agree upon the solution to that particular challenge, but we agreed upon the challenges, uh, two or three of the challenges that uh, we had talked about in the conversation that needed to be dealt with, you know, in in this country and in the world, you know, kind of thing. So. It's like, okay, we really aren't that far apart. We really aren't that far apart. And and for for this person to, as I said earlier, be tightly wrapped in the flag, that's his choice. Her choice. That's, you know, uh, they can they can do that. That's fine. Uh, and I don't have to be that tightly wrapped. Uh, I have a, a an appreciation for uh, the wonderful opportunities that, that I have had in this country to do the things that I am doing now, as you as well as a lawyer, David, uh, are also able to do in, in your family law practice. Uh, by the way, before we wrap things up, are you still practicing family law or have you retired? I have not retired. Um, people ask me that occasionally, but in fact, I'm, I'm adequately in demand. Um, and it's, um, and I'm helping people. And I mean that if I weren't helping people, I, I could retire financially. I could retire and, and, uh, career wise, I could retire, but, but I can tell every day that I'm helping people. And I'll tell you why, Richard, I, uh, I have a policy that no other lawyer I know has. And that is I'm willing to speak to the client by phone, uh, on the first phone call for free. Hmm. Well, my and, attorney and I've done that twice already this week. Oh, wow. And, and I get I get effusive thank yous from people because they've called six different lawyers or maybe more and nobody would talk with them about charging them. So I'm, I'm happy to help people. And I like yeah. sitting in my office and be able to do that but also have plenty of legal work to do. Yeah, I'll bet. Well, my lawyer, about a year after my divorce was final, she got out of the business because she just she even though the way she did her side of the aisle, uh, the way she did it, uh, she just couldn't put up with what was going on on the other side of the aisle. And it just uh, she just finally said, I've had enough and I can appreciate that. So she 
she divorced herself from, from her from her law law office there, and I uh, was sad to see her go. But by the same token, you got to take care of yourself, and sounds to me like uh, you are doing just that, and taking care of other people, helping other people as well. And we thank you for doing that. David Erdman is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and David David Erdman, my guest here with the Ten Commandments of Marriage, uh, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. I have three final questions that I asked you the last time you here on the program. The answers do change. You may have addressed them to some degree during the program, but I'd like to ask them directly. Before I do, I want to let you, the listener and viewer, know that this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. with our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com, and we are also uh, podcast these on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and many other locations. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. And we um, also hope you'll subscribe, uh, not for the purposes of me making contact with you and uh, anything of that nature, but when you subscribe, every time I post a new podcast or videocast, you're notified that there's a new program up there with new information, new insights on those new ways of living. A lot of new stuff for you. So hope that you'll do that and uh, also participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. Uh, and that is where we ask you to spend time going within, listening to that still small voice in that quiet, peaceful, calm space that... I found out nobody else can get to. I looked for that place, David, uh, years ago. I'm thinking there's got to be a place on the planet I can go get away from everybody and, and just spend a quiet, peaceful time. And then I realized that if I could find it, so could everybody else. Then I realized, oh, there is a place. It's my inner voice. Uh, some people might call it their prayer closet or what have you. But, uh, folks, you can spend time there. Also, if you uh, like what we're doing on the program, you like the information that we're bringing you, like this interview with David Erdman, uh, and you'd like to help us out financially, we would be so gratefully appreciative. Uh, we have a PayPal account that is for your security as well as ours. And uh, there's a link on the homepage of richarddugan.com where you can just click on it and boom, it takes you to the place where you can then send us whatever you can. We will take energetic support as well. And we thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for, uh, for helping us out in whatever way that you can. With that, we now go to our final three questions for our very special guest here on the program. And the first of those three questions is, who is David Erdman? David Erdman is a very lucky guy who is a husband, a father, a grandfather, an American. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I want to I want to I want to help people in as specific a way as I can to make their marriages better for their sake and for their children's sake. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to use for the good of the world and myself, all of the talents that God gave me 
and and they're there for some reason. And um, I, I want to find them if I haven't already found them, and I want to use them uh, as fully as I'm able. Well, David Erdman, again, I thank you. I, I really do enjoy talking with you. I wish we were talking about another subject other than uh, divorce, but it's an important subject because we've got to find, a, I think, one of my favorite sayings, biblical sayings is, a house divided against itself not only cannot, it will not stand. And when you're talking about a relationship between two people, that's a house. That's a house. And uh, you are trying to help folks, <laughs> maybe not to divide so violently, or maybe to find another way, even through the process of divorce, to keep that house, that structure alive, even if it's just for the kids, the, the children. So I thank you for, uh, for what you contribute in that regard and to this program as well. Thank you, sir. And I thank you for listening you to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.